So welcome to the next episode of the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. Today, I'm joined with Oliver Bealby-Wright, Sustainable Consumption Project Specialist at Consumers International. Ollie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hi, Michelle. So it's great to have you here. Before we get started, can you give us a bit of a background as to what is Consumers International, what you do, the practicalities of of how you work and who you work with, et cetera, et cetera? Of course. So Consumers International, it's a 60-year-old organization. Uh, Our mission is uh, a safe, fair and sustainable marketplace for consumers everywhere. We are a membership organization. We have over 200 members in over 100 countries. You'll probably have heard of Which in the UK or yep. Consumer Reports in the US, Choice in Australia, but actually about three quarters of our members are in developing countries. So uh, organizations like the Consumer Council of Zimbabwe, who actually uh, drafted their consumer policy in that country, uh, six consumer organizations across India, um, many, many more. And um, These are all organizations uh, dedicated to defending the rights of consumers in the marketplace. So the way we use the word consumer is maybe a little bit different from the kind of consumer is king idea. We see consumers as an actor in the marketplace with both rights and responsibilities. Uh, So we are here to be their representative, representative. So when you look at things like climate change, we're here to say consumers need to be part of the solution and yeah. consumers need to be brought with us. So we were at COP26, for example, arguing for a fast, uh, fair and accountable uh, transition to net zero. We're a really small team, Consumers International, although we've got a big membership yeah. uh, based everywhere. And we're sort of hyper generalists. We do advocacy, we do research, insights, we do campaigns like the World Consumer Rights Day campaign uh, every March. So that's a quick snapshot of a really small but ambitious team. Yeah, fantastic. And I know how we met, Oliver. It, it was, you work very closely with lots of other consumer protection bodies, don't you? I mean, it's a real collaborative impact that you that you work with and that you have. I mean, I think when we were on a discussion, it was about, you, you had the CMA there, you had Ixpen there, you had lots of people from uh, around the globe, as you said, you know, talking about consumer protection. And at the time we were talking about green labeling and and also the way that um, consumers were communicated to about green claims online and and looking at some of the the ways around that. So so it would be good to talk about some of the initiatives that you're involved with then. Well, I'll start with the one that you mentioned. Yes. Uh, And you're totally right. It's a weird and wonderful world uh, of consumer advocacy and consumer protection authorities. Uh, so I'd say that the main kind of, we work with international stakeholders. So OECD, International Standards Organization, you know, G20, World Trade Organization last week, for example. So that those are our kind of close stakeholders, but we also have this depth of expertise to draw on um, from this amazing world of consumer protection. Uh, we were talking, as you, as you mentioned, about green claims yes. uh, and really about the challenge of sustainable consumption, which should not be underestimated. Uh, we've got the 12th Sustainable Development Goal, which is a bit of an orphan. If you look at the mm. SDGs, it's the least well-funded. It doesn't have the metrics, the tracking, the policy initiatives that the rest of the SDGs have. And it's a huge, huge challenge. It's trillions of products produced in millions of locations, 
signal to billions of consumers. How do we crack that nut? So we were looking at transparency as one of the ways you can do that. And it's not the only way, of course. Uh, and we were looking at e-commerce as one of the potential triggers of a radical shift in the way that consumers receive information uh, and the way that transparency uh, is communicated. So we've been working with policymakers in particular, and we're going to be launching soon a policy toolkit. And the reason we wanted to do that is that if you look at the way policymakers have approached this issue so far, it tends to be quite siloed. So you've got the consumer policy folks and they and everyone tends to come at the problem from their own mm. slightly narrow and discreet way of looking at the world. So it's about fixing market failures. So there's an information asymmetry here between the seller and the consumer. Let's fix that or with a extended information requirement or there's an unfair commercial practice here because of misleading green claims. Let's fix that. Yeah. But then you get an approach where the whole is less than the sum of its parts uh, and you don't have something that's really going to shift the dial on the big challenge of sustainable consumption and the 12th sustainable development goal. Yeah. So we are creating a framework which goes across those boundaries, across sectors that policymakers can use and will help them uh, to act across areas um, to improve the transparency on sustainability that consumers receive. Fantastic. And, and of course, that, that SDG number 12, that responsible consumption, is the one that we really see as being something that marketers need to be almost champions of. You know, that is, that is the, one of the SDGs. Yes, of course, climate and various other aspects may fall into the aspect of, of what we're all doing. And some of those SDGs may be more aligned to different businesses because of the nature of what it is that they do. But that responsible consumption piece is indeed, that goal number 12, is indeed something that, you know, we, we do say that that is what marketers really need to be, to be looking at. And, and so I know, um, Ollie, when we spoke, because we were going to have this podcast a while ago, but we wanted to wait to get all the gems from the research that you'd been doing. So I know you've been doing some interesting research and workshops about that policy intervention um, and information. So and, and that's a global piece of research, isn't it? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I have to say, one of the things that Gemma and I found across the board, really, not just to do with um, kind of consumer policy, but also when we were looking at reporting and accountability of sustainability generally, as you say, there's lots of individual siloed activity, but not much that collectively brings it all together. So, So everybody's operating individually. So what are you finding with this research that you've been doing globally to help create this more global position? That's totally right. And we're looking across eight areas, yep. uh, which we hope ticks, off, ticks most of the boxes in terms of getting a whole systems approach to yep. this issue. So we're looking at extending information requirements to consumers. So things like mandatory environmental labelling. We're looking at identifying the different actors and allocating responsibilities and liabilities because it's so complex in terms of gathering data, assessing it, the methodologies you use, and then presenting that to consumers. There's a whole information lifecycle alongside the product lifecycle that you've got to get a handle of. So we're thinking with policymakers about how they can do that. We're looking at e-commerce and the digital environment and 
where digital nudging can help sustainable purchasing, but also where the risks are there, uh, yeah. and there are many. Uh, we're looking at environmental labeling and how those schemes can be made more reliable and tighter. Uh, and then we're looking at greenwashing and the huge issue of misleading green claims and then all the different actions. And here I'd say that strength is really is in diversity in terms of tackling this problem because there's so many different sides to it. And then there are three other actions which are needed to support that kind, those kind of interventions. We need more consumer education and awareness raising and marketing plays a big role in that. Yep. We need a look at enforcement of consumer law generally because, I mean, I know you had uh, Cecilia from the Competition of Markets Authority in the UK yes. on the podcast. And if you talk to her or any uh, authority like that, the capacity needed to deal with green claims in particular yeah. is huge and they don't have the resources. No. So ways to deal with that is really important. And then finally, looking at where does all of this stuff on sustainability information, so on transparency, where does that fit into the bigger picture on policy for sustainable consumption? Where do you draw the line when you say 80% of this can be done with transparency, but this 20%, it needs to be about phasing out the worst options, choice editing, so consumers yeah. don't have to choose between really bad products, which are totally unsustainable in the first place. Yeah. And, and that's interesting that you, you know, you, you mentioned there about Cecilia and the CMA and, and of course those green claims and, and the size of, of what is required to, to kind of counter those claims, you know, to go to, 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 to research all of those claims and to do all of that. And of course, I mean, I think this is where almost there's, there's an element of frustration that, you you get these bod- you get the bodies coming out with these like the green claims code for example and you really hope it's got teeth so that it's going mm-hmm. to set a real precedent for those and and send some real warning signs out into into industry to say that you know change behaviors and do this but of course if we don't see those claims being enforced then of course it almost gives industry a right a, a kind of carte blanche to carry on doesn't it you know without without any any enforcement. So so it's a real challenge. You would like to think that organizations are just going to do the decent thing and, mm-hmm. and not have to be enforced upon, but rather see those claims as something that just help them to re-engineer and reposition what it is that they do so that they they can be transparent and that they can be, because I'm sure there are certain claims. I mean, that I've seen some, oh, some examples where organizations didn't even realize that they were greenwashing, yes. you know. I was and, about to say that. I mean, yeah. in defense of, you know, businesses who are trying to do the right thing, it's not yeah. easy. And one of the trends, and I think you're kind of alluding to it, is the creation of these kind of principles-based guidelines. And it's not just the UK. You think about uh, the Netherlands, their uh, authority for consumers markets, uh, but also all across the world from Colombia, Argentina, uh, there are these kind of guidelines being created. And it really does, it's not the end of the, the issue, having a principles-based guideline. The good thing about principles, I mean, the advantages are fairly obvious in that they're more flexible and that you can read the CMA's green claims checklist or yeah. the Dutch authorities' rules of thumb in a minute, and marketers can understand that quickly. But is that enough to be able to really know uh, whether a claim is going to be okay or not? And then the same for the consumer authorities, because they're not experts on environmental science. So 
are they able to enforce these principles when there's so much room for interpretation? And I'll give one example, which is uh, the HIG Material Sustainability Index. And you probably have seen uh, the trouble they got in with uh, the Norwegian Consumer Authority in terms of using annual... Uh, people can will have probably seen over the last year or so, if you go on H&M's website, there'll be, you know, right. a T-shirt saying this is 30%, yeah. uses 30% less water, that kind of claim. Yeah. But actually, it's, I mean, they're doing the right thing on lots of bases. They're using LCA data. They are making specific uh, claims. The issue from the, if you look at their Norwegian Consumer Authority's guidelines, there's not one when you think they're really missing this, but it's when you get into the detail and you think, oh, and the crux of this issue was the use of global averages data within the life cycle assessment. Uh, and that's a really technical, nitty gritty details problem. How can a marketer know exactly where the use of global averages data is justified where it's not, especially yeah. with the best data that's out there at the moment. Uh, that's a real issue. And I think this just shows that there needs to be much more collaboration uh, between uh, businesses and marketers on the one hand and consumer authorities. And I think that's what's happening now uh, with the Sustainable Power Coalition and uh, the Norwegian Consumer Authorities and other authorities. And that shows the kind of model that we need to work, keep working this out and we're on a journey to try to understand how these principles need to be put into practice and what kind of data is needed, what kind of context is needed, and so on. Exactly. And you're right, we are on a journey, and it is a relatively new journey, isn't it? Um, and, and so I suppose it is a little bit like sorting this out as we go, bringing all of these enormous entities around the world together. Um, I, I know when we were speaking, I mean, there's over something like, 460 different green labels, for example, isn't it? And, and some of them don't mean anything, some of them do. So how does a consumer actually know what to trust, what not to trust? And, and I think a lot of it, as you said, is like the Green Claims Code, marketers can look at those six key principles. There are other principles that are pretty simple. There are others. I think it was the, I think, is it the ICC ones I was looking at? And and that goes on for pages They're and very pages. Good. They're very good. They're very detailed. But as a marketer, my goodness, I mean, you'd need to go on a, a kind of training course just <laughs> to understand what that means for your organization. So are we, is that what's going to be required? That's a good question. I like the ICC's one because it goes into specific terms. Yeah. Which really I think is, as if you were a marketer, I imagine would be, and I'm interested to hear what you think, yeah, I imagine is helpful because principles are good, but then they leave so much space for interpretation. So saying, well, with the science as it is, this kind of saying the words climate neutral yeah. is dodgy for this and this and this reason. That's actually really helpful. So those term specific guidelines, I think, are great. And again, it's an issue that consumer authorities really don't have the capacity or the in-house expertise to be able to produce massive uh, guideline. But then there's also the issue, as you mentioned, that if you have to read that every time you make a green claim, then you've got a problem. So it's about education and upskilling marketers. And I don't think there really is a, a shortcut there. One shortcut, uh, for example, if you look at the French climate law is uh, 
legislation that bans specific uh, terms or types of marketing, for example, fossil fuel advertising, that's a step in the right direction and gets rid of the worst cases. Uh, but that still leaves a lot of space uh, where there is no simple shortcut. And we just need, and marketers, and this is why this, the work that you're doing is so important, marketers need to get into the nitty gritty and learn yep. about life cycle assessments and yep. how they're used and their limitations as well as their advantages. It might be boring, but it's really, really important. Yeah, it is. I mean, and this is what we teach, Ollie, that the landscape has changed, you know, and and the the as a marketer, you need to be all over the landscape that you operate in. And now you need to understand the these aspects because these are absolutely critical. And as custodians of the consumer, you know, as marketings are it, it, marketers are, it's important that we we do know that detail. I, I think, it, again, it's just, an, it's it's like everything, isn't it? It's like, as you say, we're coming into this and it's changing. It's also, it means that the profession has to change. We have to keep up. We have to be ahead and we have to understand what this new landscape is that we're operating in so that the things that we are talking about, the things that we do can be truthful, can be transparent, and, and we're not going to run into hot water about those things. It's naive to think that we, that we never need to stop learning, really, as, as, as people on the planet, never mind just marketers. So, so of course, it's an important part of, of how we continue to learn. Um, so going back to your research then, Tell me about some of the key themes, outcomes from this research that you're able to share with us. Any potential solutions, next steps that you've seen coming through? I'm trying to think of one or two that I can uh, highlight in particular. So we did uh, a really large literature review um, with uh, the International Institute for Sustainable Development, which were helping us with the with the research, looking at, for example. Uh, the advantages and benefits that e-commerce and digitalization brings, but also the risks, uh, looking at uh, greenwashing and its effects on consumer trust. And you won't be surprised no. to hear it's not good. No. Uh, and then we did a policy review across eight different jurisdictions to really see what's the state of play, what is the kind of overall direction of travel, uh, which, as you'll probably know, it's about product level claims, more regulation of those. It's about using LCA potentially to substantiate those claims in a standardized methodology. It's about tighter regulation of eco-labeling. And we think these are all good, but then there is some argument that dismisses some of the information that there's a risk that consumers uh, will only receive information about the less important things and not about the really important things. Yeah. And this again is where marketing comes in. We need to be telling the biggest stories and thinking about what does a net zero consumer journey in 2050 look like? I don't think anyone has the answer to that yet, which is why there is a risk that we throw the baby out with the bathwater here. So that's one of the really key issues that we've been grappling with is how do we support these efforts uh, to clamp down on greenwashing and extend uh, consumers' right to information whilst also making sure that uh, especially SMEs and small businesses doing the right thing are able to communicate the bigger story uh, because that's a real area where we need uh, more work. 
The second point I would say is about e-commerce. And this is both where there's the biggest opportunity, but also where there's the biggest risk. If you think about AI and micro-targeting and personalized uh, messaging, that has a huge potential to promote sustainable purchasing in digital environments, but it also has really big risks. To name two, one is around uh, consumer agency uh, and transparency. And there is there are no kind of agreed guidelines on how transparent uh, digital actors need to be on mm. the nudges that they are using for consumers. And this is a really tricky question because actually research shows that it's the dark nudges, the ones that consumers aren't aware of, that are more effective. Mm. So how can we guide uh, businesses into using digital nudging effectively whilst also using it ethically? So yeah. transparency is a really big issue around that. And then, of course, there are issues around data protection and privacy um, with any kind of use of AI uh, and consumers' data. So that's another thing that we need to be, be aware of there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's a real... When you try as a consumer to make the right choices, you want it to be easy, don't you? You want to trust that if you see something that you think, yeah, that I'm making the sustainable choice, that is what I am doing. And there's not many online areas. I mean, I think I highlighted to you some time ago, uh, I found that Boots actually had a, a drop down in their menu, hidden away somewhere. You know, it wasn't in the main menu. It was in the depths of their menu that actually then had literally maybe a page of sustainable products. And, and I'm sure they probably have more sustainable products on their shelves than were actually listed in that online directory. So I suppose it's a case of the the actual retailers also becoming more responsible and selling well um, and making it easy, but also ethically responsible for, for how those um, for how we as people find those those products so that we're making the right choices or we're making choices that we that we genuinely want to make. Another question I have for you around that, Ollie, is, is, is another thing I shared with you was what the guys, we had Adam from wherefrom.org on here. I don't know if you managed to have a look at what they're doing, but they're almost like a trip advisor mm. for sustainable products. So rather than being dependent on the retailer, rather than being dependent on the, the, the site or the brand or the organization, showcasing and being ethical and being responsible about their products. They're actually getting people, the consumers involved by rating how sustainable they find that product to be. So that actually they every every product has a score and therefore you can see this score. Now those scores at the moment don't translate to anywhere kind of uniform, but you can go on an app, you can see a product, uh, you know, and I what Adam was talking about is that those scores will in the future, hopefully be in the supermarket. So we can see what that sustainability score looks like. What's your view about something like that? How game-changing could that be? I think that's a really cool model. Uh, um, we'll definitely look at that in more detail. I think it speaks to the importance of the kind of use phase uh, in sustainability, how long products last, uh, how easy they are to reuse, how durable they are, how modular they are, all of the, how repairable they are. All of these things are increasingly important as we try and move to a circular economy. And there, we really don't have the data. Uh, and so where's the data going to come from, except for the people using those products? Yeah. So that makes a 
a huge amount of sense to me. I think there's lots of interesting startups and folks working uh, who aren't, you know, huge FMCG brands with yeah. access to lots of data. And they're trying their best to try and do, for example, data scraping from lots of different sources to come up with scores. If you could think of Finch, for example, or the Green Consumption Assistance uh, in Germany, these are really promising innovations. Or, for example, Good On You, which has been working for quite a while in the fashion sector. And yeah. here it's about brands being transparent, not only to consumers, but also to these actors. Um, because, uh, for example, Good On You, if they're not transparent and they don't, brands aren't transparent and they don't have the data, they're, they're off, aren't they? They're off. They're off, and they're they're, off the platform. Mm. So it's really important that that uh, aspect of, I guess the innovation landscape isn't forgotten. And that's one of the risks uh, to go back to the policy interventions we've been looking at. It's one of the risks we see in the direction of travelers at the moment is that you do throw the baby out with the bathwater and these innovators aren't able to do what they're doing, uh, which would be a shame because it really is changing the kind of landscape of the type of information that consumers receive. Absolutely. And and almost it almost seems to make sense that you'd be working with these innovators to bring along the data and the insights that they are tangibly seeing and having and what is going on in the day-to-day kind of rhythm of how this plays out with real-world consumers into how some of those policies are created. So therefore, it's not policy enforced down. It's actually a living, breathing, more agile element that, that makes more sense, doesn't it? Than kind of like, this is, this is the fixed policy. No, look at this is how it works in the real world. How can we be melding this together so that it, it actually becomes something that is genuinely useful and usable for, for consumers? So I think there's a great opportunity to be, you know, we always talk about, I mean, goal number 17 of the UN SDGs is indeed partnerships. And so I do think that partnerships and, and sometimes unusual partnerships are what it's going to take to 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 really drive some of these innovations and, and solutions that, that we require. Absolutely. And unusual partnerships, that's really kind of what Consumers International, we are we represent all of our members, but we try and push them yeah. uh, to be more innovative. And there is sometimes a reputation that the consumer protection folks are not on the side of innovation, but we have to be on the side of innovation. We're the ones saying that sustainable consumption is a basic right for consumers, which it is. So we need to be part of the innovators who are making that happen. Um, Totally on unusual partnerships agree. Wanted to come back to what you said on retailers. I think that's really interesting uh, about their role, especially online retailers. And you mentioned uh, Boots as well, um, having a, uh, kind of sustainability subpage on a slightly bigger scale. Rakuten's Earth Mall uh, in Japan has done uh, quite a good job at, at bringing together certifications uh, and those products onto a single page. But that's not the only tool they can use. The you know yeah. sustainability search filters, flag yep. systems for recommendations, umbrella labels, number yep. uh, friendly that bring together different certifications in a way that's really simple and easy to understand straight away. These are all, I don't think anyone's cracked it yet. And I think we can pick holes and go through each of these schemes and say, well, this isn't perfect for this reason. But the point is that there is this innovation out there. Um, I think, and also going back to our point about kind of the huge compliance burdens uh, and the difficulties in enforcement, 
retailers can have a role to play in what we call compliance by design. Yeah. So they are the gatekeepers. Yeah. Uh, Amazon is the gatekeeper to a huge number of sellers uh, to the marketplace, to the consumer, so they can ensure through their processes, through templates, through duck guidelines, through even providing their sellers with glossaries, yeah. simple, something as simple as that, they can ensure that the information meets regulatory requirements as those advance, that it's standardized, which is way more easy to do at yeah. the platform level than at the individual seller level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, there is that huge responsibility. It, it, it's, it's not a responsibility. I see it as a huge opportunity for brands, particularly grocers and retailers, to step up and be really responsible about what is coming into their, their landscape and, and what that means. Because that then speaks volumes for them. And when, you know, without getting into the science and the nitty gritty, but, you know, when we're then looking at the scopes and we're having to look at carbon impacts and carbon reductions and decarbonization schemes and the, the race to net zero, well, of course, if you're selling well, that's all going to have an impact on, on how you perform, won't it, about what, what's in your arson um, that you're putting out there. So it does kind of make sense. And it, it, it all seems a lot maybe simpler to me than it, than it is operationally. But, but I do think that, as you say, we're, we are at the beginning of this and we, we can't lose fact. And I, and I think that those that are already out there doing things, whilst, you know, I might be a little bit disparaging about, oh, it's right on the second page and you couldn't find it. At least they're doing it. At least they're doing something. So it's a case of what can we learn from that and how can we feed back and how can they do better, you know, uh, and how can we move that on? So let's get back then, Ollie, to you've, you've touched on this um, and we touched on the, you know, the goal number 12 and that responsible consumption. The role that marketing plays when it comes to sustainability information online for customers. We've talked about the role of the retailer, the role of obviously it being out there, but then there is this education piece, this communication piece about marketing. What's your view about what more can marketers be doing? Two things. I think raw transparency alone, um, not going to get us there. It's not going to close the intention action gap, which we keep on hearing about. Um, I think that's even more true in online shopping environments than offline, simply because there is sort of that unlimited shelf space, which leads to the temptation to just be transparent in the wrong way and just yeah. give lots of kind of raw, uninterpreted information to consumers, which in a way is a sort of greenwashing because it's not... doesn't it's mean not any sense. It doesn't yeah. mean anything, does it? And, you know, some folks are doing interesting things around layering information. Yeah. Uh, that's really important because... Study after study shows that it's actually in the online environments, consumers are more motivated by the impulse to simplify their own consumer journey and to simplify choices and avoid information overload. Because what happens is if there's information that's poorly processed, too complex, too much, uh, then consumers just turn off altogether. Absolutely. Even if they really care about sustainability, yeah. they want to shop sustainably. And even if they're willing to pay a sustainability premium, they're not going to get to that information and the sustainable products are not going to get to those consumers. So marketing, I think, has a big role to play uh, in making information sing. Um, should have probably mentioned at the beginning, we are co-lead of the uh, UN One Planet Network's Consumer Information Programme, uh, which is the sort of base for most of our work in this 
area. Uh, and that's an amazing multi-stakeholder group uh, from, you know, stalwarts from eco type 1 eco-labels that have been doing this for 40 plus years to uh, small startups like Avoco to big brands like Philips uh, to policymakers like the French and Chilean environment ministries. It's that amazing kind of depth of, and breadth of experience uh, that we need to bring to this. But I think one thing that we keep coming back to with that group is the role of marketing. So it'd be great yeah. to have marketers join that group. And if anyone listening thinks, mm, that sounds like an interesting group, get in contact with us uh, and have a look at the website. It's called the Consumer Information Programme uh, because I think making information sing uh, is so important. And then it comes back to what we were talking about before about the big systems changes we need to meet net zero, to transform our food systems, for example, and to tell those bigger stories, which a single eco-label or certification can never do on its own. Just to give you one example, um, yeah. one thing that we're excited about is what they're doing in France around creating uh, mandatory environmental labeling, and they've started in the food sector. So as you might be aware, uh, their environment agency started a sort of beauty contest uh, and different groups uh, made up of businesses and technicians and other stakeholders came up with their different schemes uh, to calculate uh, the impacts and have a scoring system a bit like a Nutri-Score, but for environmental impacts. And there's some really, if you look at that, there's some in really interesting work that our member in France, Kishwazir, has done looking at, uh, for example, EcoScore and the organic free-range egg comes out worse on the scoring than the, you know, the battery farm chicken egg. Right. Not Why great. is that? What's happened yeah. here? But then the other one, uh, which is the Planet Score, which is backed by, you know, the organic lobby, uh, has a very different approach. And then you realize, when you look at that, that if anyone in the health life cycle analysis world tells you that there are no subjective or value-laden judgments. They're wrong because there are, and there are two different visions here of a food system transformation. Yeah. One is a kind of agroecological transition. Another is a sustainable intensification, land-sparing vision. These are two completely different things. Mm. And so we're making these signals to consumers, uh, and it might seem technical and technocratic uh, exactly how you weight different indicators within a LCA methodology for environmental labeling. But one is making us eat much more chicken. And one is saying, eat no chicken, eat beef, because that's part of an organic mixed rotation agroecological food systems. So we need to always think about the systems yeah. uh, that we want to promote and that we need to change. And I think marketing has a role to play in educating consumers that it's not just about individual product by product choice it's about that bigger picture as well it, it absolutely is and I, I you know going back to that idea of the communications and making things sing I think there's there's a lot of I mean I was looking at uh, I was contacted this week and I was speaking to an organization I won't say what it was that that they do because I don't want to embarrass them um calling them out on the podcast but but um you know, and they have this they do a they do a really great job you know they're a really lovely sustainable business and they've got this big kind of headline on their on their website saying you know 
8,139 tons of X has been recycled. What does that mean, you know, to the consumer? They might know what that means to them, but what does that look like? You know, and when we talk about making things sing, make things relatable, make things understandable, you know, big numbers. What what is that? What does that mean? How do I how do I take that and do something with that? How do I relate that, you know, and and digest that and and understand what that means? So I think I think there's a lot of claims that are made and a lot of sustainability claims that are communicated that are pretty meaningless to the majority of of people because you know it's almost like it's that perfect moment isn't it of marketing that marketers have forgotten that they're actually communicating to the outside world that does not live in their world and and they could become too siloed and i think this is what you know we have to wake up to that i mean it's a marketing challenge full stop but i think in sustainability it's a really big challenge for marketers to to have to think differently about totally agree and it's if you're thinking about policy interventions you know environment agencies tend not to have a marketing department so yeah. they don't know how to communicate communicate to consumers so they need to be bringing in that expertise from outside and marketers can bring that consumer organizations like our members can also bring that uh, because a lot of them do advice and product testing direct to consumers so know how to communicate in a way that does make sense and doesn't bamboozle people with kind of numbers out of context yeah perfect so we need straight talking we need transparency we need some simplicity i mean there's a it's it's complex isn't it ollie it's not we're not going to get there but we're on that journey it's happening you've got your organizations like you say bringing together lots of unusual partnerships to kind of crack some of these these challenges as we move forward so as we do with all of our podcast guests we like to ask three quick fire questions to round up the show so my first question to you ollie is can marketing save the planet? What's your view on that? Yes, not alone. Not without some help, but yeah. yes, I think marketing can save the planet. And I think it's really easy to be cynical. Uh, and I come across this all the time. And people who say, and not just marketing, but information in general, communication yeah. in general, and say, yeah, and you and you can you can't really blame them because if you look at you know the 450 different green labels and the total wild west of greenwashing that's yeah. out there at the moment, and they say, well, really, how is communication to consumers and putting it all on their shoulders going to change anything? Uh, we need governments to act, and we need businesses to clean up the supply chains. And I totally agree. Yeah, and we do need do that as well. Yeah, yeah, we need that as well. But there's only so much that we can't have you know, a government telling a clothes manufacturer exactly which inputs they're going to use, where they're going to do it, what process they're going to use to make every single t-shirt. There's only so far that eco-design measures and phasing out the worst options. And these are all things that we argue for strongly and advocate for through our members all the time. There's only so much that can do. And there's always going to be that gap where informed, conscious consumer choice um, is what's driving... uh, the conversation. And whilst we wait for those kind of policy measures, this is pretty much all that's driving the conversation yeah. in a lot of sectors. So yes, yeah, can save the planet and needs to save the planet. Fantastic. Fantastic. Good answer. So next question is, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time? Tricky one. 
I think uh, one I would hope that kind of purpose-driven business is not the fringe uh, set of weirdos uh, at the edge of the conference, but is the norm. Yeah. And I hope that consumers believe it. Um, yeah. I hope that you can go to the street and if you talk about purpose-driven business right now, people think that's a marketing tool in the negative sense. It's a way yeah. of sending more stuff. And I don't think they're entirely wrong all the time. So for that sea change to happen in 10 years would be an amazing achievement. Fantastic. And your last question, Ollie, if you were to give one piece of advice to others around getting started with this more sustainable, responsible marketing consumption, what would it be? I think it goes back to what we were saying before about the devil being in the detail and don't be afraid to become a complete nerd about things. And do your training in life cycle assessment, do read the kind of really nitty gritty reports, even if you don't understand it all, and then ask the stupid questions uh, until you do understand it. Fantastic. Ollie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How can people find out more about Consumers International and indeed uh, the one for the planet that you were talking about? Go on our website, Consumers International's website, uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I think we also now have an Instagram page. And then, yes, uh, the UN One Planet Network. One Planet Network. Is what it's called. Uh, Consumer Information Programme. Classic UN lengthy name. Doesn't trip off the tongue. But take a look at that too, because uh, there's a whole hub on eco-labeling, on product sustainability information, which is worth, worth taking a look. Fantastic. And if marketers want to get involved, um, is there an email that they need to contact or should they just go through the site? Uh, I go through the site. That's yeah. probably the best way to get to the right person. Fantastic. Okay, well, I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Ollie, just leaves me to say a big thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I've really enjoyed this. 